is Bloomberg Surveillance. I don't want to be complacent. There are things the world should be worrying about, but it's just not as bad a world as some people are saying. For what most families care about, it's not GDP growth or the size of the economy as a whole. It's how they're doing. Real capital investment is way below average. Why? Because business people are very uncertain about the future. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 7 a.m. in Washington, D.C., where we find ourselves this morning watching the wailing and gnashing of teeth among Republicans the day after Super Tuesday. Tom, a big night for Donald Trump and Ted Cruz, as Chris Caliza of the Washington Post says, the man the party fears and the man the party loathes. I, I was transfixed by all the different political coverage, including Bloomberg politics last evening between about 730 and really into the 11 o'clock hour. I can honestly say, Mike, I've never seen it before. Big night for Hillary Clinton as well. We'll talk a lot about politics today. Al Hunt, Jared Bernstein, Libby Cantrell from PIMCO, and Lonnie Chin from the Rubio campaign will be joining us. As for the markets this morning, one step forward, one step back. Not the primary campaign. It's the markets these days. Uh, this morning, Asia and Europe are higher. The U.S. and U.K. lower. Shanghai finishing up 4.3%. Tokyo, 4%. That carried over into the European markets, but the U.K. and U.S. not so much. Uh, right now, the stock 600 is up by a point, a quarter of a percentage point, and the DAX by 38 points, four-tenths. But the FTSE is down 20 points right now, three-tenths of a percent. And in the U.S., there hasn't been much movement in futures all morning. S&P futures down about five points, about two-tenths of a percent. Dow E-minis off by two-tenths as well. That's 35 points on that index today. And the NASDAQ 100 E-minis, five points lower, just over a tenth of a percent. Now, the bond market is lower today. Strong economic data, well, stronger economic data yesterday. And a big day in the economy ahead with the ADP numbers coming out at 8.15 Wall Street time. Ten-year note yield 1.84%, the five-year 1.33, and the two-year is up to 85 basis points yeah. this morning. So that is something we're going to keep in mind. In, in a jobs data. day on Friday, we we're, forget. Today we're super starting Friday. the process. We're starting the, the long slide into jobs day. Into Super Friday. Super we'll Friday. Call it. Super Friday. We'll see how many delegates were hired in the U.S. this past month. Absolutely. Bloomberg surveillance from Washington this morning. Good morning to 99.1 FM in Washington in Baltimore. Uh, we're brought to you by Invesco. Factor-based strategies can help investors focus on high quality, low volatility, and more. Learn more at Invesco.com slash high conviction. Brian Belsky is the chief investment strategist at BMO Capital, and he is joining us from our New York studios. He, he went there when he heard we were coming here. Uh, you were telling Tom earlier, Brian, this is the largest stealth bull market of our collective careers, but is it still that? Uh, how would you characterize where we are after the big sell-off and clawing back somewhat? I would exactly call it clawing back. It, it, we think that clearly uh, it was a tough January. You know, January itself kind of felt like a whole year. And uh, Most of my clients around the world are pretty tired and pretty stressed out after what happened in January. So we had a nice little snapback, and now everybody seems to be uh, be believing 
uh, that emerging markets are coming back and commodities are coming back. And so I think that's why you've seen a bit of a re-rating of equities. From a, from the stealth commentary, you know, people still don't believe it because we're still kind of in the bunker. That we're playing the rope-a-dope strategy with respect to equities. We're just kind of waiting to take a punch uh, from a longer-term perspective. And until we get some clarity with respect to GDP growth and earnings growth and and from a from a at least near-term perspective, what's going to happen politically here in America, it's going to take some time to build credibility again for this whole notion of investing. So 2016 is your reset year within our 20-year bull market thesis, which we've been talking about uh, since to, late 2008 to early 2009. And, uh, you know, we think equities from a longer-term perspective are still the place to be, but we're going to see some volatility heading into the summer and into the fall. So one step forward and two steps back, Tom, it looks like. Yeah, I think so. But the other thing, you got to be careful with some of that because it's pretty consensus now that you, you read all the, the blogs and the Twitter machines and things like that in terms of this is the biggest biggest sell the rally market that we've seen. Remember, the majority of institutional investors have not been around uh, post or pre, pre-2000, so they really don't know what a quote-unquote real cycle is. A real cycle is earnings yeah. go up, uh, the economy goes up, interest rates go up. Uh, and so we haven't seen that in a while. Nobody believes that stocks can go up if the dollar and interest rates go up because, again, we haven't seen any investors that are around in the 80s and 90s. So we think we're involved with an right. investor base that lack perspective. Unfortunately, Brian, there's proof that Michael McKee and I went to the Washington Capitals Pittsburgh Penguins game uh, last <laughs> night. Maybe the most extraordinary uh, set of talent I've ever seen on the ice. How do you construct a portfolio? around your strategy like the Washington Capitals. How do you do that? You find good athletes. You, you find good stocks, okay. and you stick with them, and that's really the era of active investing. And I know a lot of my competitors and compatriots have talked about this, but let me try to explain it. If you're a portfolio manager, you want to own less names. You want to own 35 to 40 names in a concentrated portfolio. You want to be overweight at 4% in a core position at 2.5-3%, and you want to initiate position at 1% with respect to stocks. And as the market rallies, you peel off a little bit, and the, and the market rolls over. You want to buy a little bit more, and that's what that's what you should be doing in stocks like Apple and Comcast and 20th Century Fox and, and Costco and these names that – continue to be, we believe, core right. positions from a longer-term perspective. And, Mike, I, I thought that was brilliant, what you just heard from Mr. Belsky. I would also suggest, Mike, that within the mathiness of it to be diversified across sectors within that portfolio uh, discussion is far more important than worrying about individual stock diversification. It's critical what groups you're in is you construct 35 to 40 stocks. So you don't worry about having Alexander Ovechkin. you got to have three or four good lines. He's no good without those guys. <laughs> yeah. that T.J. Oshie, good morning, St. Louis, Sirius XM, Channel 119. Mm-hmm. Without T.J. Oshie, your portfolio doesn't go up. <laughs> we're, we're not going to mention the Canadians, Brian. We won't make you feel bad this morning. <laughs> Instead, let's ask about uh, the political world. When yeah. does Wall Street take account of the outlook for the election. On surveillance this morning, we were outlining some of the candidates' economic plans. you got Hillary Clinton, who wants to take on the financial sector, uh, extend regulation there. Uh, you've got Donald Trump, who wants to spend more money than the U.S. has, according to the calculations of his portfolio. What, do people take this seriously? Well, tell me something I already don't know, right? I mean, the, the issue with respect to financials has been a bull market in compliance since 2001. Many people think that this whole 
compliance situation and, and regulation really started in 2008, 2009, post the crisis. No, this has been going on since, since 2000, 2001, post the tech bubble. And so picking on financials, I think, is a, is a headline type of thing because people still have a general distress for financials. We've been on record by saying we think it's a generational opportunity to buy big financials here in America and Canada because we think they're exquisitely well run. They've undergone massive structural change since 2007, 2008, and we think they're appropriately positioned to take on more of a wealth management type feel and a big asset type bundling feel, especially considering that the economy is improving, interest rates are are going to go up, and as we start to see yields uh, put pressure with respect to performance and principal on bonds, something that, that Tom talks about a lot, we are going to finally see this great rotation that nobody's talking about again because it clearly hasn't happened. I must uh, do a quick uh, shameless plug here, Tom, for John Micklethwaite and his marvelous interview with Jamie Dimon, which is out on the Bloomberg uh, today. You can uh, yeah. you can read that at length, Jamie Dimon at length, on his business model and his business plan. Yeah, and on the strategy that Mr. Dimon has forward as he uh, tries to set up, uh, re- I guess, reset up Fortress Dimon from where it was seven or eight uh, years ago. Uh, Brian Belsky, we hear from so many guests that they are wedded to quote-unquote blue chips. Do you find the same, or are you wedded to mid uh, caps and small caps. I would tell you this, Tom, that if you're looking at small, medium, large uh, companies, we would rank large number one, small number two, and mid number three, principally because valuation perspective uh, in the earning growth side of the mid cap uh, world is is a bit uh, worrisome. Large cap stocks, we think, again, on the re- for the record, we think we're heading into an 80s and 90s type environment uh, where it's a Warren Buffett slash Peter Lynch uh, type world where you buy good companies and you stick with them. And again, per my prior comment, you buy more on pullbacks and you trim on on right. on, on rallies, but there, I believe that this is going to be an interesting uh, period for small cap managers as small caps in general underperform. But this is where you, as a small cap manager, is actually easier for you to outperform if the if the yeah. asset class is declining. Brian Gimbelsky, thank you so much with BMO Capital Markets on the equity markets and his important research note of an unloved uh, bull market. It was not unloved politics last night, Mike. I've never seen anything uh, uh, like it. What was your observation as you and I gazed 9, 10, and 11 o'clock at what we saw? Well, it's, uh, it seems to be moving more quickly than party professionals thought. Bernie Sanders not putting up as much of a fight. When you start counting delegates, Hillary Clinton with a big commanding lead. And Donald Trump right now, at least has the momentum. It's going to be hard for him to be stopped, but he still can be. The nuances here between Mr. Cruz and Mr. Rubio and moving out to Michigan in one week and a a number of guests this morning making clear Florida is more important. But it'll be interesting to see where we are in Well, on the 15th, days. you get to the winner-take-all primaries like Florida, and that yeah. will really matter. Yeah, well, Michael McKeon, Tom Keeney in Washington. Uh, futures at negative 6, Dow futures negative 43. The yield, 1.84%. Now let's bring in Michael Barr. He has the latest world and national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Republican Donald Trump and Democrat Hillary Clinton had big nights after Super Tuesday. Trump and Clinton each won seven states. Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio are not giving up in their fight for the Republican presidential nomination. Cruz won his home state of Texas as well as Oklahoma and Alaska. Marco Rubio notched his first victory in Minnesota. Democrat Bernie Sanders is indicating that he is in it for the long haul. 
Sanders picked up victories in his home state of Vermont, as well as Oklahoma, Minnesota, and Colorado. Authorities say a freight train with hazardous liquids has derailed in southwestern New York State. Governor Andrew Cuomo says the train was traveling on the Norfolk South Southern Line through Ripley when about 15 cars derailed last night. Three of the cars carrying at least ethanol are leaking. About 45 homes have been evacuated. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. Yeah, Michael Barr, thank you so much. Coming up, E.J. Dion of the Washington Post on the perspective of Super Wednesday. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by NYCB. Ask about their My Community Interest checking with free NYCB online and mobile banking. Earn more, get more. Visit nycbfamily.com for details. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. When entrepreneurs face challenges like choosing a business structure or access to capital, they call the accountants and advisors at Eisner Amper. Connect with them, EisnerAmper.com slash tech. Sports Authority filing for bankruptcy after failing to exploit the fitness boom that's been a rare bright spot in retail. Futures lower this morning with S&P E-mini futures down five points. Dow E-mini futures down 38. NASDAQ E-mini futures down six and a half. The DAX in Germany is up two tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 4.30 seconds. The yield 1.83%. NYMEX crude oil down 1.9% or 66 cents to 33.74 a barrel. COMEX gold up a tenth of a percent or a dollar 30 to 12.32.20 an ounce. The euro a dollar 08.54. The yen 114.37. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, thank you so much. About four days ago, I said to my wonderful team and particularly Rachel Worsband, I said, "Get me EJ." Get me EJ. Get me EJ. They thought of talking about a hockey player up in Minnesota. EJ Dion owns the analysis of politics in Washington. His must-read book for the right and the left coming out. I love the title, Why the, Why the Right Went Wrong, Conservatism from Goldwater to the Tea Party and Beyond uh, with the Brookings Institution, university fellow, uh, professor, rather, at Georgetown, and, of course, with the Washington Post, E.J. Dion joins us on this Super Wednesday. E.J., wonderful to speak to you for the half hour. Um, it's a long way from Portsmouth Abbey through your path with your Vatican coverage to the religion that American politics is in now. What is our American political religion as we pick up the, the dust from last night? Well, first of all, thanks for that wonderful introduction. And I think the part of my past that I might most think about are the months I spent covering the Civil War in Beirut. I mean, it is, you know, and in Lebanon. I mean, that is the kind of thing that's happening uh, inside the Republican Party. I love, by the way, the lead on the New York Times story uh, this morning by Jonathan Martin and Michael Barbaro. Uh, Democrats are falling in line. Republicans are falling apart. Uh, it's really remarkable what's happening to the Republican Party. And in a funny way, last night sent two, I think, contradictory signals. On the one hand, uh, if you didn't take Trump seriously before last night, you got to now with those uh, victories in all but uh, four states last night. But there was another message that was striking, which is he only broke 40 percent in uh, Alabama and Massachusetts. He came close in Tennessee uh, and Georgia. And so what you're looking at is a Republican Party in which Trump has a clear plurality, 
uh, but can't hit the majority anywhere. And I think that spells real chaos going forward. Now, none of the alternatives, not Cruz, not Rubio, not Kasich, has been strong enough to force uh, the other candidates out. Um, and so now you have talk in the Republican Party that the only way to stop Trump um, is almost a favorite son strategy that goes back, you know, almost a 100 years in our politics, or at least maybe 80 years in our politics, where you try to use Rubio to block him in Florida the way Cruz blocked him in, Trump, in Texas yesterday. Uh, and uh, Kasich in Ohio, and just yeah. try to keep him under a majority. But boy, that spells problems if Trump emerges with the most delegates and is denied the nomination, which is the strategy of the yeah. anti-Trump forces. Well, where does it leave the Republican Party? In in your book, you trace uh, what you call the decline of of the party. Where does it leave them if he becomes the nominee? Do, do they put themselves back together, or is this a uh, something we haven't seen since the 1850s. I think they split in three. Um, there's the Trump part of the party, and some parts, some elected officials will go with Trump, and the hope of people who uh, are willing to support Trump in the Republican Party uh, is that his appeal to working-class voters you know, with a, a strong economic anti-trade nationalism will make them competitive in places like Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. Uh, then you're going to have a lot of uh, more moderate Republicans or moderate conservatives, particularly elected officials in suburbs, are going to say, we can't go with this. They're not going to form a third party. But you already have people like uh, Christine Todd Whitman in uh, New Jersey saying that uh, they could vote for Hillary Clinton against Trump. And then you're going to have staunch conservatives and neocons on foreign policy in particular uh, who are going to say, uh, no, we need a real conservative party on the ballot. Um, and, and so they could actually yeah. cut into Trump's vote from the right. Uh, I think that's the most likely outcome. You know, in, in my book, I, I argue the, the first sentence of my book is the history of contemporary American conservatism uh, is a story of disappointment and betrayal. Uh, and I think the Trump vote comes from two sources. One is staunch conservatives who say, I'm tired of the Republicans making promise after promise and not keeping it. Uh, and the other is from working-class Republicans who've been voting for this party for decades, white working-class Republicans, it should be said, who've been voting Republican for decades and don't have anything to show for it. And once again, yeah. yesterday, Trump drove a class wedge right through the party. Well, that's where I wanted to go, to the class wedge. Where does the establishment, which is the elite, where do they meet to recalibrate and restructure? They're going to go to the Hay Adams Hotel or the Willard or, you know, you know, you know the venues. Is there a place where they meet or is it all done by email now? <laughs> you know, it's funny. In the book, I talk about a meeting, a dinner in the caucus room, uh, which is a popular uh, watering hole and restaurant uh, the day that President Obama was inaugurated, where the House leadership decided, you know, we're going to go all in on opposition to uh, Obama. And that was his first day 
uh, in office, and it was a lot easier to unite in opposition uh, to Obama, the outside enemy, if you will, the Democrat, than it will be to pull this party together against Trump, because you've already had kind of defections or partial defections in the so-called yeah. establishment, saying maybe we could do uh, business yeah. uh, with Trump. Um, and I think that you do have a congressional leadership that's very afraid that Trump could endanger certainly their Senate majority and possibly right. even their House uh, majority. And so they're also signaling each other from the outside. Both okay. Mitch McConnell and uh, Paul Ryan have sort of suggested right. they're almost ready to join an anti-Trump operation. Well, interesting. E.J. Dion with us with the Washington Post, the Brookings Institution. Uh, coming up, I'm really looking forward to this in support of 99.1 FM in Washington. E.J. Dion on his Washington. He's the author of the new book, Why the Right Went Wrong. Michael McKee and Tom Keenan, Washington Worldwide, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by Flushing Bank. Open a complete business checking account with $15,000 or more and get a free 16-gig Wi-Fi tablet. Visit FlushingBank.com for details. Member FDIC. Equal housing lender. I want this videos. Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991, to Boston, Bloomberg 1200, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It is 7.30 on Wall Street, 7.30 in Washington, D.C., where Tom Keene and Michael McKee are this morning after Super Tuesday. A lot going on in the financial world. Here's some of the corporate headlines we're following. Sports Authority filing for bankruptcy this morning after failing to exploit the fitness boom. Germany's antitrust regulator opening a probe into whether Facebook abused its power in the social network market by forcing customers to agree to terms allowing use of their data. And Anadarko Petroleum rising after announcing plans to sell $3 billion in assets this year while cutting spending on new wells and other projects by almost 50%. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world in national headlines. Michael. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton have taken Massachusetts primaries with both candidates also widening their leads nationally in Super Tuesday contests. Trump outdistanced his Republican challengers while Clinton got a narrow win over Bernie Sanders in the state. And that's for Super Tuesday overall. Trump and Clinton each won seven states. Meanwhile, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is catching some heat in his home state after endorsing Donald Trump. Six New Jersey newspapers have called on the former presidential candidate to resign as governor. Crews in southwestern New York State are working to contain a leak on an ethanol tanker that derailed early this morning. The tanker was among 16 cars on a freight train that derailed in the town of Ripley, about 60 miles southwest of Buffalo. Sheriff Joseph Girasi. We've evacuated 45 houses. About 30 people are in shelter right now. Others found family and friends to stay with. Jirasi says the cleanup could take days. The Royal Caribbean cruise ship that was battered in a storm last month in the Atlantic has returned to port early, cutting short another cruise because of weather issues. The Anthem of the Seas docked in Bayonne, New Jersey, early this morning. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. More than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike, Tom? Thank you, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stashower, John. 
All right, thanks, Mike. It was the outbreak of domestic violence cases in the NFL that led baseball with the union to agree last summer to a new policy. The first player suspended under it is new Yankees reliever Aroldis Chapman, who was involved in an incident last fall in Florida with his girlfriend. Though no charges were brought, he was alleged to have choked her and then taken a handgun and fired eight shots in his garage. Baseball has suspended Chapman for the first 30 games of the upcoming season. Busy night for the locals. Only the Islanders won 3-2 at Vancouver on a Thomas Hickey goal in the third period. The Isles have won eight of their last 11. The Devils have lost six of seven. Playoff hopes are fading. Carolina with two late goals to win 3-1. At the Garden, two teams going opposite ways. Portland beat the Knicks 104-85. Blazers have won 14 of their last 16. Knicks have lost 15 of 18. At one point, Carmelo Anthony was heckled by a courtside fan, so he pointed to owner James Dolan and told the fan to ask Dolan for his money back. Was to be the last time the Nets would ever face Kobe Bryant, but he didn't play. Sore shoulder rookie D'Angelo Russell scored 39 points. Lakers ended their eight-game losing streak, beating Brooklyn 107-101. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashauer. Thank you, John. Well, we did not stay up late to watch the Islanders. We were watching politics. We'll continue our discussion on that with E.J. Dion of the Brookings Institution and the Washington Post coming up in just a moment, about 10 o'clock when the game was getting underway out in Vancouver. The Super Tuesday primaries were, for the most part, wrapping up a big night for Hillary Clinton, a big night for Donald Trump. What happens next? That's our subject for most of today on Bloomberg Surveillance Worldwide. Welcome back to Bloomberg Surveillance. It is a down day, at least uh, in the futures markets right now. S&P futures are off by four points. Dow E-mini futures down by 28. NASDAQ futures are five points lower. Up in Europe, however, with the stock 600 up a point, that's uh, three-tenths of a percent. The Bloomberg NJIT STEM report is brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Mike, good morning. Coming up on 735 on Wall Street, and here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. The future of Facebook and other Internet services that make money advertising things to you may hinge on your personal information. Germany's antitrust regulator opened a probe into whether Facebook abused its power in the social network market by forcing customers to agree to take-it-or-leave-it terms allowing the use of their data. The federal cartel office is examining whether the terms breach data protection laws and whether imposing them is an antitrust violation, even as the authority acknowledged that information about users is hugely important for advertising-financed Internet services. Facebook said in an emailed statement that it's confident it complies with the law and looks forward to working with the investigators to answer their questions. The social network is facing mounting pressure from the European Union's 28 privacy watchdogs over how it uses the treasure trove of customer data. A half dozen countries have opened separate national investigations. One concern, can users really understand and assess the scope of the agreement they're accepting and exactly what they're giving up? And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Mike, I'm presuming you've read every one of the roughly 3,000 words that make up Facebook's terms of service. About uh, 2,999. I got, okay. I got a little more work to do. I'm, I'm thinking about EJ Dion out on Facebook and Twitter, and I, I went on Facebook, I guess, and I can't get there. Bob Moon, thank you um, so much. With us, EJ Dion of the Brookings Institution, Georgetown University, and, of course, writing not often enough in the Washington uh, Post. His new book, Why the Right Went Wrong. I love the subtitle, Conservatism, uh, and he goes on to talk about From Goldwater to the Tea Party and Beyond. EJ Dion, let's talk about Washington. 
Uh, we're thrilled to be with 99.1 FM Washington. Uh, it's, it's such an interesting and historical Capital. We are nestled against the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. Over three blocks is St. John's Episcopal Church, the Church of the Presidents and that, with a lovely Catholic heritage here as well. Does religion matter to Washington and to this election? Well, religion does matter a lot to this election at the moment, particularly on the Republican side. If you look, by the way, at Ted Cruz's victory in Oklahoma, obviously a lot of it has to do with his being next door in Texas. But that, this is one place where evangelical, evangelicals, born-agains, who have been split, uh, actually delivered for Cruz. Cruz carried the evangelical vote, which is about three-quarters of the Republican vote in Oklahoma, uh, and Trump beat him badly among those who aren't evangelical. But what you've seen in this primary is a real split in that vote, the white evangelical vote, uh, between those who are voting on the old issues that Cruz talks a lot about, abortion, same-sex marriage, now uh, religious liberty, uh, and those who are just so angry that the culture has gotten away from them, who see the country changing in horrible ways uh, from their point of view, uh, that they are voting for the angry candidate, uh, Donald Trump, to stop them. Uh, and so in, we're going to have a real reckoning at the end of this election, or in the, where we're having it right now, about what the religious conservative movement uh, actually is. On the Democratic yeah. side, I'm struck that Hillary is speaking more and more in religious terms. You know, she is a good Methodist. She is actually a religious person. I've thought for a long time uh, that, you know, if her problem is that some people don't think she's authentic, this is a part of herself that's real uh, and that she can speak to. And I think you heard it last night. You heard it after her victory in South Carolina when she quoted St. Paul on love. And she's even using the term love and saying we need more of that in our public life. Uh, I think that's going to be an interesting turn on her part. We've got about a minute and a half or so left. Give, give us a quick cliff notes on the book and the path from Goldwater to the Tea Party, because I'm, Mary Goldwater was very much an uh, isolated, shall we say, character. I'm not saying isolationist, but um, he would rather you know, lose on principle than win by compromising. But then Ronald Reagan took that to the party's apotheosis. Well, he was willing to compromise with Tip O'Neill and others. Party did great. And now look, how did we get from there to here? Well, the core Goldwater promises, Goldwater was a lovely man in so many ways, by the way. I'm very critical of his ideas in 1964, but he was a very decent man. But remember, it was Barry Goldwater who said in 1964, extremism in defense of liberty is no vice, moderation in pursuit of justice is no virtue. Uh, and that Reagan did indeed compromise. There are kind of, I argue, there are two Reagans. Uh, the Reagan that ideologues refer to, who really was a movement guy, uh, and the Reagan who governed, who was willing to compromise when he had to deal with Democrats, which he did, both as president and as, as governor of California. Um, but the Goldwater's promises couldn't be kept. They were party radicalized. And I think its leadership today, when they can't stop Trump, is really paying a price because uh, they played footsie with Trump. Uh, Mitt Romney, who's trying to beat him now, welcomed his endorsements, giving him really fulsome praise at the time. Um, and the yeah. line that keeps coming back to me is John Kennedy's line that he who foolishly rides to power on the back of the tiger ends up inside. 
the Republican yeah. leadership rode the forces that are now giving us Donald well, Trump, and they're paying a price. Okay. E.J. Dion, thank you so much. 25 years ago, Why Americans Hate Politics. It was a classic, the new book, Why the Right Went Wrong. Mr. Dion with Georgetown. Brookings and the Washington Post. We say good morning to all of you, uh, 99.1 FM in Washington and coast to coast on this Super Wednesday. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by the New York Chamber of Commerce. Mining, agriculture opportunities abound in Nigeria. Learn about protective investments in Africa's most active markets. Thursday, March 3rd, breakfast, 8 a.m., 20 West 44th Street. Breakfast is free. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Mark Spanith, LLP, ranked among the top three forensic accounting firms in New York by the New York Law Journal for the sixth year in a row. Visit MarkSpanith.com. UBS Group Chief Executive Sergio Armati says negative interest rates are encouraging risky lending practices among some banks, potentially posing a threat to the wider financial system. He spoke earlier today to Bloomberg's Tom Keen and Francine Lacqua. I think in general uh, the European banking system is uh, clearly uh, has a huge overcapacity. The problem is really to create uh, an environment in which uh, we learn from the mistakes of the, of the past is that not every bank should try to copy uh, the other, but rather every bank has to find its own uh, ways to, to, to uh, live through the next, uh, the next phase. And that's UBS Group CEO Sergio Armadi, as heard earlier on Bloomberg Television. U.S. stock index futures, meanwhile, are lower this morning after a surge in shares sent the S&P 500 to an almost two-month high. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures down two and a half points. Dow E-mini futures down 19, and Nasdaq E-mini futures down two and a half. DAX in Germany is up six tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down five thirty seconds. The yield one point eight four percent. NYMEX crude oil down one. 0.4% or 48 cents to 33.92 a barrel. Comex gold is little change, down 40 cents to 12.3040 an ounce. The euro, a dollar 08.53. The yen, 114.40. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, thank you, Karen, so much. Greatly appreciated. A trip to Washington for Super Tuesday and Super Wednesday means you need to speak to people without hysteria. We just did that with E.J. Dion of the Brookings Institution and, of course, the Washington Post. To top Mr. Dion, there's only one person in Washington to speak to. Out of Wake Forest, he has carved a career in journalism, including plastered on the back wall of a Palm restaurant, his effort with the Capitol Gang on CNN for ages, and, of course, with Bloomberg for a continued age, Albert our hunt joins us right now. Wonderful to have you here, sir. Tom, it's great to be here with all those years of experience that you have. Yesterday, Judd Gregg gave us a view, and Vin Weber gave us a view. Is it their Republican Party? No, it's not. Uh, it is a party in revolt, a party that's angry, a party in rank and file that's full of anxiety. The establishment is in a panic mode. Uh, they want to stop Donald Trump. They're not going to be able to in all likelihood. Do you, so Mike's got so much good perspective on this. One more question. Do you assume that the establishment Republicans will migrate to Secretary Clinton, or do they just sit out? What's your experience on that? It, it'll divide. Some will sit out. Some, A few will migrate to her. A few will find some fig leaf of a 
independent party, frivolous candidate of sorts. But let me say one thing yesterday about uh, about uh, about yesterday, uh, Tom. Uh, I learned politics from a great speaker of the House, Thomas P. O'Neill, who one time said all politics are, lo- are, are local. Well, in journalism, it's, it, you're looking for the great story. Now, the country matters in the long run, but the great story occurred yesterday. Both Trump and Clinton won, but they didn't win decisively enough to brush aside their challengers. Ted Cruz won three contests yesterday. Marco Rubio won his first. We got a good contest for another two or three weeks. And the Democratic side, Bernie won four out of 11. Well, you're saying we have a good contest uh, for the next couple of weeks. Let's talk about the tactics and the strategy. We move into, we start to move into the winner-take-all primaries, and that could change the delegate count significantly, but will it? Is there a place where you can see a Marco Rubio winning, breaking through, and taking the momentum away from Trump? I think it's very difficult. I think the greatest hope for those anti-Trump factions really is that you have a broker convention where Donald Trump comes in with 41 percent and uh, and the like. Uh, because winner-take-all begins on the 15th of March, Mike, but not all states are winner-take-all. So uh, and, and where Mitch McConnell made a huge miscalculation was saying everybody got to get out so someone could take on Trump one on one. No, because if that happens, Trump's going to win Ohio if Casey gets out. If if Marco gets out, Trump wins Florida. You want to have those three or four people in the field right now. At some point, you want to take him on one on one. But it's going to be hard for any of them. Where's the money right now? Uh, the donors of the party, the people who will keep the the other candidates running. Well, Cruz has a lot of money. Cruz has this guy, Mercer, Robert Mercer, and he's got others who've kicked in big. He's got a couple uh, super PACs. Rubio really needed to win the Minnesota caucuses. I know that seems kind of funny right now, but he needed one win. Uh, and then if he wins Florida, he'll get the money. There's also outside money coming in. The Ricketts family is now spending money just to take on Donald Trump. Excuse me. What is the biggest smoke-filled room you've ever been in? How smoky was the classic L hunt? It was 1976, the Republican convention, when Ford and Reagan went in. Stole it from Reagan. <clears throat> dead tied. Yeah. And uh, uh, Ford beat him, but it was a smoke-filled room, and it was rooms, and it was fabulous. It was a lot of fun. <clears throat> you had a lot of power brokers. Drew Did Lewis. Get back to that. Yeah, Drew, no, we won't. I, I kind of wish we would, but we won't. Drew Lewis who just died a week or so ago, was the guy that delivered that convention to Gerald Ford. Right. Uh, I don't, there is no Drew Lewis today in the, uh, in the GOP party. I remember party. Ronald Reagan squirming up in that balcony. It was <laughs> like being a Pittsburgh Penguins fan watching the Washington Capitals. <laughs> <laughs> Tom suffered through the game last night. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't the outcome he was hoping for. Uh, we watch uh, the Florida primary, particularly because Rubio is staking his hopes on it. He's 20 points behind right now in the polls there. Do we take those polls seriously? Is Trump really that strong? Uh, how does Florida play out? What Rubio would say is he was 20 points down at Virginia and lost by two. It's his home state. Uh, he hopes to get Jeb Bush's endorsement. Yeah. I'm not sure he will. And I don't think endorsements matter all that much. But he, 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 look, it's do or die for him there. And don't forget, Ohio's the same day. John <clears throat> Kasich has to beat uh, Trump in Ohio. In terms of the way we campaign, uh, Trump has upended all the rules. He, he just has. drops in, uh, makes a few appearances, flies back home to New York almost every night. Uh, has he permanently changed the way you campaign, the, the retail, uh, you know, 
connection with the voters, or is this just kind of a one-off Donald Trump as a celebrity campaign? I hope it's one-off because I think retail politics make people at least more aware presidents and more aware candidates. Uh, I thought New Hampshire voters did themselves a big disservice by voting for Donald Trump. You know, not not because I'm so much against Trump, though I am, uh, because I thought exactly the point you made. You, you really want retail politics. You have taught at Penn that there's a habit of people moving to the middle when they get to the general election. I think Secretary Clinton is schooled at that. I'm making a bet there. Is Mr. Trump or whoever takes a Republican not have any ability to move to the middle? Very limited. I mean, there's Donald, no proof of that. There's well, no Donald evidence. Trump's appeal is he tells it like it is, and he has views which I consider outrageous. Uh, I don't think you can deport 11 uh, million people. I don't think you can start a, a, a trade war against Mexico uh, and China. I don't think you can build a wall which the Mexicans will pay for. Mm-hmm. But if he backtracks on those, Tom, then he loses. You know, he loses all of his credentials with those angry, alienated people. I think Trump will have a very hard time moving in the center. There are people on both sides, in both parties, that say this is a what they call a base election. Election, more than a move to the center election. Get your base voters out. Yesterday, the, the South carried the day for Donald Trump and for Hillary Clinton, and those Southern well, voters who voted for Clinton had nothing in common with those Southern voters who voted for Trump. Mike, a question to you to start with your 20 years of experience in Washington, unlike Al's 100 years in Washington. <laughs> but the One basic ten. idea, are we moving to our version of a parliamentary system? Is there some chaos here that will make us well, we're have like a, the British? A fractured Republican Party that would give you the possibility of having a number of parties, but the two-party system is so entrenched in American politics that it's hard to imagine you could have three or four viable yeah. parties, election after election. Uh, you could have the, a, a lot of soul searching in the Republican Party about what party they're going to be at. Yeah, I basically agree with Mike Tom, but I don't rule out the fact the Republican Party could totally fracture after this election. Wow. Uh, I really think it's possible uh, because I think that that Trump faction is not going to go away, and I don't think that can be then, a common. This is critical. What do you went to Wake Forest, the land of the Whigs? What do you, Chuck Todd, mentioning the Whigs all the time now? What do you foresee is is the offshoot of a Republican Party of what 150 years? Well, it would be two. It would be two Republican parties. It'd be the party of Paul Ryan, uh, the party of John Kasich, the party of Marco Rubio, even, and the party of Donald. Trump uh, and the party of Ben Carr's the angry outsiders, uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not forecasting that time. No, I'm I understand saying, but that. I think unlike in the past, you'd have said, well, that's a ludicrous proposition. It's not going to happen. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's far out anymore. It's such a small base; it would be hard, it seems to sustain a movement like that. The UKIP party in England can't get above. 10 or 15 percent in the polls. But I, I want to ask you quickly before we go here: uh, traditional politics would have us starting to speculate about who a vice presidential choice would be because how they're going to help a ticket down the road. In Trump's case, it's sort of probably going to be anybody who will take the job, right? Lady Gaga. Uh, I think that's the leading candidate right now. But does it matter who Hillary picks? Less so than, um, uh, look, if Bernie really gave her a contest all the way till June, I really was convinced there was a good chance she'd pick Elizabeth Warren, just to energize that base, two women, all that. Uh, I think since that's not going to, seems that's not going to occur now, I think she'll move more to something very conventional like Tim mm-hmm. Kaine or maybe uh, the HUD secretary, Julian Castro. Very 20 seconds. Who in the Republican establishment are you most focused on? Paul Ryan. 
Paul Ryan. Mm -hmm. And what do you did you like what he did yesterday? Did he handle yeah. that well? He's horrified. He is a Jack Kemp Republican. Yeah. If my dear friend Jack Kemp were alive today, he would be mortified yeah. by Donald Trump, and there's no way in the world he could support Donald Trump. Al Hunt, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, Al Hunt, of course, writing for Bloomberg View. I featured one of his columns uh, today. The Republican muddle is good for Mr. Trump. Al Hunt, of course, with Bloomberg. Uh, view and Bloomberg uh, News. We need to do a data check. Did you know there are markets going on even as we handle Super Wednesday? Uh, here in Washington, futures negative three, Dow futures negative 17. Michael McKee and Tom Keenan, support of 991 FM Washington. This is Bloomberg Surveillance.